Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Todd, what are we doing? We're live. So I can't believe we keep doing this. Me neither. This is pretty wild. I need to switch over because hopefully we're gonna get some comments. I'm going to open up the YouTube. The YouTube. Mm-hmm. What's nice is I can see all the comments right here. Welcome, everybody. Looks like we got three people. We do. Hanging out with us. We're getting started. Yeah. All right. Welcome to a live edition of your daily scrum. I'm professional scrum trainer Ryan Ripley. That guy over yonder, professional scrum trainer Todd Miller. Todd, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I was just watching the YouTube screen instead of this screen over here, which is my live screen. Hey, Matt DiBerdino says, hey, Todd and Ryan. Hey, Matt, how are you? Osuma Beniahia. I hope I said that right and didn't butcher it. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thanks for being here. We're seeing a lot of people pop in. All right. This is the show for you. Your questions. That's how we're going to drive this. And so as questions come in, we are going to answer them. And so we've got some people joining us. The number of viewers keeps going up. Let's uh, let's get started. Who's got a question? Somebody, somebody fire away. We're going to say, welcome, everybody. And uh, we'll jump right into it. If not, Todd, I might ask a question to you. Let's start with that. Ask me a question. Ask, ask, me, ask me anything, Ryan. Ask you anything. Do, by the way, do I, do I have like spaghetti sauce on my face? Because I just like ate as fast as I possibly could. No, I think you're good. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're doing well. So my system is... Oh, so Fabricio, he saved us. Let's see. Wait. LinkedIn user said, hey. Thank you. Hey. Here we go. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. My system is too complex for Scrum. It will never work. I hear that often. What would be a good answer? Thanks. So you know what, Todd? When I hear that, you know what I think of? 
if your system is that complex, how can you do anything but Scrum? Yeah. Right? Scrum mm -hmm. is designed to deal with the complexity of your environment. It's designed to um, help you make sense of, of a crazy world. It's designed to help you know whether or not you're doing the things that are that are right for the customer, that are valuable to the organization, that are joyful for the team. So I don't know how to make sense of complexity without the framework. How about you? Uh, yeah, so it's built for complexity, right? And we we talk about uh, how Scrum, the foundation of Scrum, the principles of Scrum are empirical process control. So empirical process control means to guide ourselves by experience. We're, we're in such a complex space that we need to guide ourselves and, 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 and really sense what's happening. And we do that. Uh, and, and change based off of that sense, right? So we inspect, we adapt, uh, we make the work well understood by creating transparency. And that's how we cope with complexity. And Scrum says uh, that we cope with that complexity all within the bounds of one month or less in this thing called a sprint, where we have the opportunity to do this inspection, adaptation and transparency on a daily basis, on a product basis, on a process basis, and all within the bounds of one calendar month or less. I so like it. That's what it's built for. Great question. Yeah, yeah, use the framework and it will help. Yeah, I think, and so Fabricio, I think a really good thing to keep in mind there is start to talk about the, the principles behind it, right? Talk, it's too complex for Scrum. Uh, Scrum is purposely built for that, right? And talk about uh, empiricism, inspection, adaptation, transparency, and talk about how the events and uh, um, uh, try to, it's like, really bring all of that to life. All right, Samantha, long time uh, watcher in the YouTube channel. We've seen Samantha quite a bit. How to deal with defining a sprint goal when it's in opposition of what product is asking for. Todd, what do you mm -hmm. think about that? I start to think goals, Ryan. So if what product is asking for, I feel like there's probably a misalignment in goals here. And it's probably fresh in my mind because I was just... Um, I was just having a good conversation with um, with Patricia Kong. We were talking about evidence based management, and we were talking about how uh, how we how we have discussions on goals there. And I start to think here that there there isn't an alignment with with goals. Uh, so like you, have a, you you might have a, a a sprint goal, but where where is that aligning to? All the way up to a strategic goal. So you have a sprint goal. You could have a product goal, right? Where multiple sprint goals are feeding into the product goal. But ultimately, do you have a strategic goal over top? And there, it sounds to me that there may be lack of alignment there or a lack of very clear, concrete goals as, as, as it follows there. What, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some misalignment somewhere. Maybe there's not a good overarching product vision. Maybe the product goals are unclear. Maybe refinement hasn't been happening. Maybe the product owner is absent. There's going to be some, you, Todd, basically our book. Right. There's going to be some anti-pattern at play that's causing for this opposition. The word opposition is super interesting to me because product and, and development, whether it's it's they're out, they're both on the scrum team. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. why are we in opposition to each other? Why are we misaligned? And maybe the scrum master can step in and look at that relationship and figure out what's going on. But this is something we need to get to the root of very quickly. Why is there this disconnect? I think a great scrum master can really help uh, make good sense of that. Uh, and then let's correct that because the developers are working to to help a product owner uh, bring us bring a, a sprint goal to the market. That sprint goal serves an overall overall product goal. That product goal serves some kind of greater need in the in the wider organization. And so, if we're misaligned somewhere, bad things start happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to go to Todd Scanlon. Todd, oh, two Todds here. Two Todds cannot make a right. Great name, like Todd. That. 
What is your favorite thing to say in a daily scrum? Mm -hmm. um, where are the donuts? <laughs> no. Um, my favorite thing to say um, in a daily scrum is usually something around. Uh, I, actually, I, I have a favorite question. I think one of the most important questions that you can ask in a daily scrum is, are we stuck anywhere? I love that question because it really, it highlights the use of item aging, which is a, a really great metric to use in a, in a daily scrum. But if we're stuck and then the follow-up is, can we swarm to get unstuck? Mm -hmm. Don't start something new because you're stuck, get unstuck. Right? So I think for me, that's probably my favorite thing to ask in a daily scrum. How about you, Todd? Uh, so I, I, oh man, this is such a me thing to say is I, I probably not me not mean me as in Todd thing to say, I think, uh, is, uh, I, I don't know that I have a favorite. I think it really depends on the context. I, I, and I, I, I certainly might say something in regards to, uh, how to, uh, how I contributed towards the sprint goal. Right. I, I really like to center around that. Like, Here's uh, and and do we feel good about it? Do we feel good about where we are? The sprinkle as developers, should we? Um, is yeah. there any need to trigger a conversation here? Or we we still feel good? I know it's day two of the sprint. I feel pretty good about it now, but when day three, maybe I don't, and I'm contributing towards the sprinkle. Really, kind of stuff to to create that focus, similar to what to what you're saying, just said in a in a different lens. So I, okay. I think that I think and and here's the thing too is if you're a scrum master and you're you're watching this show, remember that this is not your event. This event is for the developers. But one thing I, I find is to to work with developers to have them understand what questions they may come and ask um, and, and, and see what they can kind of turn up um, during the daily scrum. It's for them. Very cool. Help. The product owner wants to change the sprint goal during the sprint. What do you think, Todd? Um, well, we can give them the nuclear option and make it sound really scary. If you want to change the sprint goal during a sprint, then you have to cancel the sprint and canceling a sprint is extremely disruptive. You know, it's, uh, once you set a sprint goal, uh, I, I think that, uh, changing it can be extremely disruptive for a team. So I think the only option here is probably to cancel it. And I, I, I say that I, I should probably be a little bit more like pragmatic about it. But I'll see what you think, because I'm just thinking here the times that this happened to me. And it's like, here was a sprint goal here. And here's a completely unrelated one. Developers go. I, I want this now. Three days later. Right. Yeah, I, I think this is probably a situation where we should prefer. So first of all, Todd, I agree with you. I think if they really want to do that, then let's do it right and cancel the sprint and, and go through the pain of that and then learn why we never, ever want to do that again. Um, mm -hmm. This is probably a there's probably a better opportunity here to renegotiate some scope. Now, I, I'd imagine something crazy or pressing has come in and now the product owner is trying to react to that. So first of all, let's figure out why we're in react mode. Mm -hmm. But then if we do need to react to something that's happened, maybe there's some things we can pull out of the sprint, but keeps our sprint goal intact, but we can still honor what the product owner needs. So I think part of this is just collaborative techniques. It's going to be some negotiation. It's going to be some give and take here. But I mean, technically the rules of Scrum say... You cannot take any action that would put the sprint goal in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. We should honor that. And so, yeah, but I would opt for renegotiating scope uh, whenever possible, as opposed to pulling the nuclear yeah. option. Yeah. Nuclear option is really disruptive, right? Agreed. Abhishek, another uh, longtime viewer of the channel. How you doing? How does a product goal relate to a release plan? You know, for this one, Todd, I think they're two separate considerations. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think they're very, very different considerations. And let's remember, pro product goal is a commitment in Scrum. Release plans are uh, complementary practice. Yeah, a product management practice that a product owner could could implement. So, yeah, I'm interested I, in your take on this, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I just with a product goal, I don't want people to feel like once the product goal is finished, that you must release at that moment. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tie the two together. I want to make sure that when we release our product. We're being opportunistic in the marketplace. We're doing it with good intention and reasons, not just because, right? So let's separate the two concepts. Let's make sure that we're releasing at the best moments. That's your release plan. But let the And if the product goals line up, great. If they don't, then we just inspect, adapt, update the plan. But I would never just tie the two together one for one by default. Yeah, you could have multiple release plans that are trying to accomplish a product goal. Yeah, you could have totally. multiple product goals that are accomplished in a release plan. Um, I, I, I would prefer it probably more so, um, more so that, uh, that, you know, obviously we, we want quick iterative releases, but, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know that I'd really want to tie them. You, um, you can, if, if, if you need, but I don't know that I'd want to either. Yeah. makes total sense. All right. From Martin. Hello. The team prefers command and control, how to make themselves organized, how to start scrum with them. Um, this is tricky. If they prefer to be told what to do, maybe they don't, you know, what's interesting is, and, and we talk about this in the, the PALE, the professional agile leadership essentials course, self-organization or self-management, that's a skill. They may not know how to do what you're asking them to do. Right. And we need to start somewhere and start teaching them how to make decisions as a team together. We need to show them that if they make a, a a decision that wasn't quite right, that it's safe to, to learn and adapt and change. Um, but I think we need to realize first and foremost, this is a skill that has to be taught, that has to be practiced, that has to be worked on over a, a, a period of time. Yeah. I, so I struggle with this a bit, Ryan, because I tend to be the type of person that is, um, uh, when I've been in management positions, I'd be the type of person that is like, you're good to go. You know, like I, I tend to I just be like, go t talk to me if you need something. Otherwise I trust you. And I think sometimes that's not the right thing to do because of this, because you need to meet, you need to meet people where they are. And, and you're talking about a long history in a, if you're in software development, you're talking about a long history in the software development community where developers have been stepped on a lot. And they have a lot of fear of retribution for causing a mistake or putting a bug into production or not working on the right thing. And sometimes, depending on the person, and it can it could take quite some time to unwind. Sometimes I found it unwindable. So I I think that um, I think you, you need to understand and have an open conversation about people where where they are, meet them where they are, and uh, and work through them to mature them. And sometimes it's slow. Uh, sometimes it's fast, but uh, meet, meet people where they are in, uh, with, with this instead of just being go forth and self-organize, right? It also helps to have, use and emphasize things like focus and sprinkle and team collaboration, those kinds of things. But well, and, I, I, I kind of went meta on it, I think. No, I like where you, I, I think you went to a perfect spot, right? Self-organization requires goals and it requires boundaries and constraints. And so if we don't set those appropriately, a team will will fail at this by default, yeah. Yeah. right? Great question. Thanks for that, Martin. Yeah. Karen is with us. Welcome back, Karen. When to hey, choose Karen. Kanban over Scrum? I don't like to choose between them. <laughs> I think you can do them together. Professional Scrum with Kanban is amazing. 
Yeah, I like how Karen put the smiley face here. I think she knew this is what she was doing. She's probably laughing, thinking, ah, I just dropped a dropped a grenade on the show. <laughs> uh, but we do. We really like them to, uh, simultaneously. It, it, it's we, we really feel like they uh, together, um, they're better than separate. And so uh, most instances that we have with, with Scrum right now and that we talk to teams about Scrum, we're trying to put um, a lot of Kanban stuff in there, like the flow metrics and things like that. Um, uh, and and really just the notion of flow overall. It's a great concept to talk about. So I, I think yep. that, I think that, uh, yeah, we like them together. Indeed. Samantha says, I would argue that Scrum is a tool for you to deal with complexity. We agree with you, Samantha. We, yeah. we think that is totally right. Hi, is there a way to talk about sk- the scaled agile framework? Um, we're not going to. Yeah. So this is a boundary we've set. So this is, um, so Mohammed, we, we hope you understand. This is just something that, and it's not an indictment of safe. It's not an opinion. We just, that's not something we practice or teach. And we're going to leave that to the professionals who actually have taken a deeper dive into it. But I do like your other comment here. Please continue. You're fixing your Kanban podcast. We are Actually, I, have, I think we scheduled some sessions with Mr. Vacante next week, and you will see some Fixing Your Kanban podcast coming out very soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we excited. Were just with, we were just with uh, Will uh, today, too. So oh, some Fixing Your met- Agile Metrics. Uh, and coming. we have some uh, Fixing Your Agile Coaching shows coming out uh, next week as well with a new coach. Mm, so we awesome. brought in uh, a, a really great coach out of South Africa, I'm excited for you all to uh, to check those out. So plenty of new shows coming, including the Fixing Your Kanban. So thanks for that, Mohammed. We're super yeah. psyched that you are enjoying the show. Let's see. Uh-oh, this looks like a tough one. Mm-hmm. You have just started at a new company as a scrum master, and they are swamped by organizational debt, silos everywhere, project over product. Nothing is getting done. Where do you start? Hmm. I'm going to let Todd take this one. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I, I think that, you, so this is really easy trap to fall into that you're, you're overwhelmed. You're looking at everything that needs to be changed. This isn't what you thought you were signing up for. You think that uh, uh, there's no way to resolve everything. I, I like to look at um, what's within my control. What is one thing that I can show up to and, and change tomorrow? You know what, Ryan, this really reminds me of the Liberating Structure 15% Solutions because I really think yep. about it. I, I, there's been a lot of times in my life where I've looked back and I've been like, this situation is completely overwhelming, right? So I used to work in emergency um, services uh, as an EMT and you pull up to a scene, you're like, this is, I, you don't know what to do. And now that's chaos, right? We don't want to end up there. Uh, we don't want to end up with chaos. We, but you have to pick one thing what's in my control at this very moment that I can, that I can take action on and try to improve that. And then once that's better, or maybe once I realize that that wasn't the place where I should have inserted myself, what's the next best place that's within my control to improve. And then you just do that over and over and over again. That's why being a scrum master is really hard. You have to pick one thing and you might not know that it's the right thing. Um, but focus on that one thing that's within your control. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I, I like that. Let's let's pick a something that we could just get a, a bump of momentum on, right? Mm-hmm. Something within their control. Um, I, I mean, I, I certainly have my preferences where to start with Scrum. I would never do all of the framework at once in a company like this. I think it, that that's asking for trouble. Um, 
I would, I don't understand why we insist on using waterfall to implement agile, yeah. right? We don't, we don't have to do the big release. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is starting with a definition of done. And what I have found is when we define done for a product and then start just trying to live up to that, don't change anything else. All of these impediments become so glaringly obvious that, it, that, that people cannot help but jump in and assist you with getting them dealt with. Right. And so that's one of my favorite, but that's not going to work everywhere. That's not a best practice. It's just something that I've tried a number of times. I, I think you need to decide which element of Scrum could help in the moment the most, figure out Todd's 15% solution on getting that started, and then, and then work towards solving these problems that you uncover. Fair enough. What do you think, Todd? Good? Yeah. All right. I'm not seeing some of these chats come up. But you know what? Yeah, you, you know, oh, now I see. Yeah, let me, let me point out one quick thing here on this question. This is an awesome opportunity, right? They don't, I mean, typically, Todd, you and I do not get hired to help companies that are working perfectly, <laughs> right? right? It's like you don't go we, to the we doctor. Wish we wish we did because well, then but, we could just do actively do nothing. Exactly. That's our favorite stance. <laughs> but, um, but I think you'll find that um, doctors, I mean, you don't go to the doctor because you're feeling great mm -hmm. and scrum masters and, and, and agile coaches and typically aren't hired because things are going perfect. Right. So this is an excellent, I see, I wake up every morning excited by this opportunity. Don't let this drag you down. Mm -hmm. All right. How about this? When you reshuffle existing teams to create new teams, is there a need for a retro with the old teams since they are, since they will technically cease to exist at the end of the sprint? Ah, you know what I think here, Ryan, I think about Tuckman's model, uh, here, because I think that with Tuckman's model, um, uh, they, it, everybody talks about forming, storming, norming, performing, right. And nobody talks about what's the last one when, when the team breaks up forming, adjourning, adjourning. So I, and, and here's the thing is I, I've even seen presentations given on just like the first four steps up to storming. And I feel like this adjourning thing is completely ignored. I might be taking this in a completely different direction than you, what you were expecting. But um, th that adjourning thing is something to be uh, very sensitive about and pay a lot of attention to because I've seen people quit organizations just because they were working on a team for a year and a half. They had lunch schedules. They had a rhythm. They were working really well together. And all of a sudden, it's just like, boom, you're onto something else. It's it's like a it's like a like a like a like a bad breakup where someone just disappears, right? And so I, I feel like um, I feel like no matter what you decide to do here, I would mind a lot of attention to it, and I, I would I would I would note that last phase in Tuck, Tuckman's model uh, that is adjoining uh, that Ryan reminded me of. Thank you, Ryan, and and, and make sure that you're sensitive to it. Uh, make sure you're sensitive to it. As a Scrum Master, I might take this as an opportunity to meet with people one-on-one -on -one and just be, how do you feel about it? Are you feeling about this not being on that team anymore? Is everything going okay? Like, this is your people person stuff right now. And, uh, and I'd remember that. I've seen a lot of stuff happen with that. So, yeah, if, uh, so Todd, I think that's perfect. If if you're in a, an environment where reshuffling is inevitable, follow exactly what Todd said. If you have the opportunity to get rid of the shuffling practice, work on that. I just, I, one of the things that, that really just pains me, I, I remember distinctly, and I might've talked about this on one of our past episodes, but I'll, I'll do the condensed version here. You know, I, I went into a company and they were like, yeah, we, we had a lot of success with scrum. 
So we took the original team of nine people and we made nine teams around those people. So they broke up a successful scrum team and built nine teams around those people. And I was like, can you undo that? And they looked at me kind of horrified and, and shocked. I'm like, seriously, get those nine, team, nine people back together right now, apologize to them for disrupting them and see if we can get them working together again. You just slaughtered a unicorn, mm. right? Why would you ever do that, right? It, it, and, and to me, it's just, if you've got a team, uh, if you've got a scrum team that's working great together, they're delivering an increment, they enjoy working together, the product owner and the developers are getting along, the scrum master is removing impediments and they're shipping things that customers love. Don't mess with, do not mess with that. Mm -hmm. right? Leave that alone. And if you can stop others from the, the temptation to reshuffle, stop them too, because you have something special there. And now your role as a scrum master, especially is to preserve that. Don't let that team get broken up if you can help it. Good question. All right. Hello guys. You've done such a good work. Thank you so much, Pavel or Powell. What is your favorite concept about estimating PBIs? Maybe you're in the no estimates team, Todd, he's trying to get us in trouble. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so here is, uh, we, we mentioned before about how Kanban and scrum work really well together. That's yep. my stance. Check that out. Check out cycle time, inevitably throughput and doing Monte Carlo simulations. If you need, to, if you have a need to do long-term forecasting. Yeah. We're a huge fan of, uh, just as Todd said, the lean metrics, um, if you're looking specifically for a tool, I think it's hard to go wrong with Actionable Agile. It's Dan mm -hmm. Vicanti's uh, tool. I think it's a, a great way to go. Uh, no comment on no estimates. Todd's yeah. Unite. Yeah, Todd, yeah, Todd. Don't, don't encourage him. No, that's I'm going to encourage. I'm going to encourage every Todd I want, Ryan. <laughs> All right, that's unnecessary. Do you know Todd? Do you know what Todd means? No. Fox. Means fox? Yeah, that means I'm like quick. Is that what it means? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Uh, managers do not trust the team to, I think, self determination or organization tips to create trust in the Scrum team's ability. There is no greater builder of trust, in my opinion, than delivery. Ship it. Ship it, and people tend to back off. Mm -hmm. uh, fail to ship it, and they tend to. Um, get really interested. It is, of course, unless you're shipping junk. So Ship high quality product. And now there's a follow up here. Kind of the, the reasoning behind that is that the team, the PO devs, isn't aware mm. enough of the market customer needs. You do not have a product owner. Yeah. Find, a, find the person who does know about this stuff and get them in your scrum team as a PO. And also remember here that, um, that everything on the product backlog is a hypothesis until it's shipped. So you could have some hypotheses uh, on your product backlog because you're kind of trying to figure out the market and customer needs. And what's the best way to validate that, Ryan? Ship it. Ship it. Yeah, ship it and see what happens in production. Ship it. Ship it. Get it out the door. Yeah. Great question. Thank you so yeah. much for that. Thanks, man. All right how to work with scrum teams when they have to work on features across multiple products in a single sprint. There's no uh, imminent shift in sight to single product focus. Yuck. Um, <laughs> so I mean, this, this is, this is where, what I start to do scrum master perspective, Ryan, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and look at our video on what the cost of context switching is. 
And I might present that and say, I know that there's no imminent shift in sight and we might have to work with this temporarily, but the end game is that we are wasting a ton of money by letting this continue to happen because of the context switch that's happening with the developers. So I, I would I would immediately go for the long, that, that's your long-term win. Uh, for short-term wins, ask the team what the best way for them to be able to focus is, right? Instead of trying to solution this, if you're a scrum master, product owner, manager, I put it on the team and say, what's the best way for you to work right now? And let's try it and let's come to the best conclusion for a, a bad situation. But long-term play here is let's fix what the core of the problem is. Yep. I like it. Thanks, Dave. Hello, guys. So, Timur. Hello, guys from sunny Baku, Azerbaijan. Awesome. Welcome. Hey, welcome from a partly cloudy uh, Valparaiso, Indiana. Um, <laughs> welcome from a um, about, about to thunderstorm York, Pennsylvania. So my question is, what is your advice to the person preparing to get the PSM3? My advice is good luck. <laughs> Uh, very difficult assessment. Um, in all seriousness, this is the one where um, you really just have to have your story straight on what Scrum is, on how the Scrum values inform behavior, and on how empiricism drives everything. And if you really have that down and, and you really believe it in your heart and you've got some good narratives around the events, and I mean, this is really what I love about this assessment is that it really just it puts a tight time box on you. And it just says, do you know this stuff? Yes or no. And it's just awesome. Yeah. And so if you're if you're preparing, I think the scrum.org website is a wonderful place to go. You know, read the uh, suggested readings. Like they have some materials that they suggest. There's a lot of great blog posts, videos, all sorts of curated material on the site. I would start there. There's a lot of really good forum posts as well. But uh, I think it's just going to come down to, you know, how well do you know the framework and how well have you applied it? And do you really understand how the scrum values work? Maybe Todd, we need some videos on those. We'll work mm -hmm. on that content, but yeah, this one start at the scrum.org website and work through their path. And I think you have a really good shot of doing pretty well. Yeah. I don't know that I have much more to add there, right? I think, Oh, and get experience. Yeah. Experience is really important for this one. Hey, Todd. Hey, Ryan. Hey, all. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, stay amazing. has been around for a while. We like your contribution. Thanks for, uh, thanks for your comments and helping out. We should say that about everybody taking a quick pause there. Thanks for, um, hey, Kenneth's from Hong Kong. What's up? Yep. Uh, it's been, uh, I, we love the positivity and the comments and everybody helping each other out. We really are trying to build an agile for humans community. Keep it going. Uh, thank you. Stay amazing. has been a great contributor to that. And a, a lot of everybody that we're seeing here in the comments have been as well. But keep at that. That's what we want. We don't want to be the people um, just giving our opinions on everything. Help, keep helping each other. I think that's that's what we're trying to do and build an Agile for Humans uh, community here. So uh, thank you. Keep it up. Yeah, y'all are doing a great job yeah. at that. Abhishek, how does user experience help in Scrum? Mm -hmm. What do you think here? Uh, so as a, as a previous product owner, especially at one, uh, one time in a large scale environment, um, the user experience people are like my best friends, right? Because a lot of the stuff they do is really good product management techniques with user experience, right? Figuring out customer journeys and all those kinds of really smart user experience type things. We have a, at scrum.org an entire course on that professional scrum with user experience and how they can kind of help each other together. Uh, I think this is a similar thing to Kanban, right? Um, 
where uh, whereas uh, Kanban's really delivery type tactics, user experiences, product management type tactics. And as a product owner, you need help with product management sometimes, depending on the context of your situation. There's no one situation I've been in as a product owner in the past that has been, um, let's say, straightforward. I've needed to use a lot of different tools as, uh, of product product management. I think UX folks really can help you in that regard. Yeah, I think this is the, the future battleground. Uh, I think this is where the experience that an application provides is going to make or break whether or not the app is successful. Um, I can't, I don't know, Todd, how many times have you abandoned a shopping cart because it was di too difficult to check out or there were like 47 clicks and you just got frustrated, mm -hmm. right? This is the kind of stuff that I think UX helps products. Mm -hmm. And and Scrum has some great mechanisms that Todd mentioned to help get some hooks into that and make that a part of your product development activity. Mm -hmm. so. The times where I like, do you ever like looking for an, an iPhone app or an Android app where it's like, I want a counter for X, Y, and Z. You open the first one and saw Kluge, just delete it. And then the next one, like, I feel like I'll just get an app and then I just keep deleting them. Or maybe I just have 9 million apps in my phone. I don't know. So. It's possible. It's possible. All right. Hello, guys. Can a Scrum Master discipline a team? Well, I, I often find that I am strict but fair in my. <laughs> no, I um, I would say no. I would say I'm going to say no. And Todd, you might have a different take here, but I got to say no because I I do not even want to go down the possible misconception or the possible incorrect path that a Scrum Master is the manager of a team that they control a team it, it, it's it's the complete opposite a scrum master works in service to a team and so i i really i would i would stay away from this discipline term um i would say if there's any anything going on here that a scrum master is a partner to management and leadership and that management might have to step in and do things one caveat though and, and i'm todd i'm hesitant to give this caveat i think you know where i'm about to go I think a scrum master can work to remove a member of a scrum team if they are causing significant impediments uh, to team progress. And there's been a ton of effort to work with them. And there's been good collaboration with HR and management. Like, you've tried everything. And then I think at that point, it's time to really push for the removal. But otherwise, no, there's no discipline here. And the scrum master does not control a team. I like how you said work too, because you're partnering with the 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 organization here, right? Yeah. So as as a as a scrum master, you need to be working outside in the organization, and you should have partners in HR and management and accounting. Get out there, right? And um and, and do everything you can to further enable agility in your organization. Unfortunately, there could be times where yeah, you you really do, uh, and it's uh it's unfortunate, um, but. As a scrum master, you're not handing out scrum detention, right? Like, yeah. so you're not put, you're not putting uh, people in scrum timeout. So, yeah, there's no scrum jail. Yeah, there isn't. All right, stay amazing. You got another one here. How would you describe your first retrospective as a scrum mm. master? Poorly executed. <laughs> um, all about myself. Not very valuable to anybody. My first one. I re I'll never forget the first retro I facilitated. It was terrible. How about you, Todd? Start, stop, continue. Yeah. What went well? <laughs> what didn't? How yeah. could it? How can we change? Yeah. I, I. This is an area that I thought. It, it, so this is where this is how arrogant and prideful I was. Um, years and years ago, I went to. There used to be this this conference series called Agile Coach Camp, 
and uh, I thought I knew something about Scrum, and I was talking about retrospectives, and there was a, a very nice lady in the audience who was kind of trying to help me out, and I was kind of ignoring, and she was offering some great advice, and I was ignoring. And afterwards, a good friend of mine came over and was like, you know, Diana Larson was trying to talk to you about retros. And I was like, who's that? Like I was that new. And of course, Diana Larson and Esther Derby wrote the retrospectives book and I was being a complete idiot. And so <laughs> it was one of those. And, and of course, now I, I love Diana. I think she's great. I think Esther's great. Um, I've learned a lot from both of them, but I really needed to be humbled. I had, what what is it called where it's like, you're the, the talented amateur or what's where you don't know what you, is it the, is it the Kruger, Tuckman? No, it's Kruger, Dunning Kruger. No. Where I, you just. I thought it was just called the Ryan Ripley. Uh, that's good. <laughs> Whatever it was. This was I need, needed to make one joke at you. It, it was many, many years ago. And I thought I knew something. And, and after that incident, and, and basically they, she was so kind to me. And she came up afterwards and a few other people, they were like, Hey, we think you could, we, we think you could learn some things. And they really mentored me on this, but yeah, my first experiences with retro were very amateur, very poor. And, and thankfully there were some really awesome people like Diana and Esther and a few others who have spoken some really good truth into my life and have helped me with this. And, and it, it's progressively gotten better. How about you, Todd? Uh, yeah, I think I'm good with that. I think, I, I mean, you, you, you learn to grow. Uh, yeah. Last last point before we move on, uh, don't just make it about the retrospective, right? Great. You're great at facilitating the retrospective. Was the retrospective all for nothing because you didn't have a good sprint review? I'll, I'll leave it at that. We could. There's more coming on that, right, Ryan? I think so. Someone would love to see us on uh, the Drunk Agile show. I don't think I could get drunk enough to go on the Drunk Agile show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love those guys. Yeah, we love those. No, guys. I, I think Pratik and Dan are awesome. Yeah, and we're, uh, we're maybe just talking about that with Dan a little bit. He was like, maybe we can segue when we're hanging out next week into uh, into a Drunk Agile thing. So I think you're actually going to see that pretty soon. Yeah, you may. You may. Yeah, those guys are great. Love them. I love. Uh, does is his dog still alive? Pratik's. I think so. Yeah. That's the big joke. That's the big joke. I think so. I doesn't move very often. <laughs> yeah. um, no, we we love Dan and, and Pratik. They're awesome, and uh, I think you'll see us doing something in the near future. Can a product owner delegate the crafting of a product goal to anyone else? This is a really great question. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm. So uh, yeah. So here's the thing: they can, but ultimately they're accountable for it. So here's the thing. If you're a product owner, uh, being a product owner is a really busy job. You're really, really busy doing a lot of things. Uh, there's nothing in Scrum that prevents you from doing it. But product owners, you're ultimately accountable for them. So uh, maybe you have some some uh, help with product management and, and, and you're doing this. Ultimately, though, product goals are on the product backlog and you're ultimately accountable for them. So if there's delegation that's happening and you end up not liking what you see or it ends up not being a result, it's on you. Indeed. I got an interview question. Asked about what I'll do as a scrum master if I join a team and forming them as they around 50 or 60. What will be the following steps I should take? 50, so, I'm assuming 50 or 60 uh, people. People that they need to start like forming into teams. Yeah. Um, this We actually, this is part of a, this is a class question. I wonder what kind of interview you're doing. Um, interestingly enough, I believe in self-organization. I know Todd does too. Mm -hmm. And if we know that a scrum team should be right around 10 people, you've probably got five or six teams here. 
And uh, I think you, you could choose to allow these 50 or 60 people to organize into teams that they feel are best configured to meet the needs of your product development efforts. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly and have uh, facilitated this happening a couple of times. Uh, I was working in an organization um, just very recently and was asked about this after they brought to light some issues that they were having. And we created a couple boundaries, meaning management created a couple boundaries for self-organization, saying that old customers need to be supported. We need to get this new product out of the door. Uh, and and we'd like you to be... Um, um, uh, we, we'd like to, every team to have the skills to deliver an increment uh, and so organize into teams. And it's amazing how we, um, you know, it's almost arrogance that we think that we know more than the collective brain power of everybody else. I would just say if, the, if people think that it's impossible, that then you need to get a good facilitator that can harness that brain power and get people to organize into these teams, because I guarantee the 50 or 60 people collectively are smarter than one. So I, I think that is maybe how I would uh, how I'd answer the question uh, to build on top of what Ryan said. Cool. I like it. You're cool. Thanks, man. Could you please share best practices for tracking business? So I don't know what a best practice is in our type of work, but I will say this. I think evidence-based management, mm -hmm. EBM, is where I would start. It's for free. It's on scrum.org. Go read the guide. It's uh, scrum.org. I think slash EBM will get you there. Um, if not, search for EBM on scrum.org and the page will come up. It is the place where I would start for business value and ROI. Yeah, I think that's good. That's a good, good, good one. Good, um, good, good one. Yeah, so scrum team members are spread across multiple projects. None of them are 100% allocated. How to change this mindset of the leadership. We have a video already in your daily scrum on this. So do search uh, the catalog there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will give kind of a high level answer here, Todd, if you don't mind. Do it, Ryan. Make it visible. Make the problem visible, right? Show the cost of the context switching. Show the cost. Yeah, find the context switching video and it shows you how to calculate this into dollars. Uh, you can put it into whatever currency you like, but it will show you how to make the problem real, how to make the problem visible. And then you're creating an opportunity for the leadership team with this new information to make a better decision. But if you don't put the cost in terms of what people care about, it never gets fixed. So make it visible, make it painful, and give someone an opportunity to correct it. All right. Amitai Schleier is in the chat, plus one to ship it. What's up, Amitai? Amitai, good friend of the show, an old school yeah. Agile for Humans guest and co-host. He's plus one to ship it, provided you, you're sufficiently in control of your code to never break something that used to work correct. Quality <laughs> is a thing too, right? I love that <laughs> add-in. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for being here. Um, let's see. Let's check out this user story question from Fabricio. He's back with another one. What is the problem with user stories? Who, what, and why? Why doesn't Scrum adopt that once for all? Thanks for your videos. I've watched them with the team in Brazil. In our sprint reviews. Hey, that's a cool use of our videos. Sprint reviews, that's Todd. Sweet. That's awesome. That's cool. So Scrum now, does Maybe not... wear a better shirt next time if it's a sprint review. Well, I keep wearing the same hoodie, so people are like... <laughs> oh, they noticed. Oh, I'm sure. They're like, does Ryan ever <laughs> wash his hoodie? The answer is no. <laughs> so don't ask. Yeah. yeah. Um, Scrum does not prescribe the user story format or how user stories are formulated because I, so this is, this is a Ryan answer. I Todd, I hope you agree. 
we don't know how everybody's using the framework. It's not just software. We've seen fighter jets, clinical trials, pharmaceuticals, um, logistics systems, all sorts of things built, supported, made by with Scrum. And so if they, if the, if Ken and Jeff, and again, my opinion, were to get super specific about user stories being mandatory in Scrum, you might exclude some of the uses. Plus, it's a product management practice. The product owner should have the right, along with developers, to decide how best to express their experiments and value. And so I, I love this aspect of the framework. It keeps things open. It lets people make decisions in their context, and it doesn't lock them into an arbitrary practice. What do you think, Todd? I, I, so <clears throat> I have had a ton of success with user stories. I have had a ton of success with job stories. I've had a ton of success with uh, not having any kind of format, just saying that we need a value proposition statement in it. Um, and it's all been based off of the context of the situation that I found myself in. Um, there have been times where I've been very dogmatic about using user stories. You have to use a user story and it's awkward to write them. You make super, um, yeah. you make a ton of time trying to put a square peg into a round hole when you just could have put a couple pieces of text in this fine. And also, so you talk about user stories and I talk about product backlog items in general. Not every product backlog item is the same type of product backlog item. We did a little bit of this in our PDI video. You could have bugs, you could have new features, you could have um, uh, something else in there. And, and that, that, that's specific to software, but what do you think pharmaceutical companies are having in there? Maybe an experiment, right? Like a, 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 a test trial, stuff like that. Um, so, and writing a user story from that perspective may not work. So that that's why. Um, and I, I'm not here to say that I don't like them because I've had a ton of success with I, oh, I do to some extent. They're the, great. My, one problem, though, the value proposition comes last. So that is the last thing. And that's what people always make lazy about the user story is the so that. Well, and that's why, Todd, if, if I'm in a product owner role and I'm using user stories, the so that is first. I define the value first and then we'll figure out how we get there. And I think that's a good, that's a good switch, I think, but it's not the best switch. It's not the only switch, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so Horatio, you put a new format in here that you could use. You could do why you could do who, and you could do what. Yeah. Perfect. I love Boom. it. Yeah. And every PBI contains that. Great question. Thank you, Bobby. Greetings from Macedonia. Our videos helped him prepare for his PSPO one. Congratulations, awesome. Bobby. Yeah, that makes us super happy. We see that in the comments. So like, this helped me pass. This helped me do this. It helped me do that. So um, like uh, this, this always makes me stoked that we helped yeah. pass the PSPO. Congratulations. All right. What is the best combination of liberating structures to facilitate scrum events? I'm going to give a weird answer here, Todd. You might have to clean this one up for me. I'm going to say whichever liberating structure you can actually facilitate well, right? I don't know if there's, I think every, every liberating structure, as long as the invitation is good, uh, could be used in some way to help with the scrum events. But I think what you really need to focus on is, do you understand how to use these structures? Do you understand how to come up with a good, um, a good invitation? Do you understand uh, how to facilitate effectively with them? Because these are not just paint by number. These are very complex structures. Um, I, you know, I, there's a video on our on our pay on our YouTube channel where I facilitate a room of 500 people using start watch that video and take a look at like if it can work in a room of 500 people, it can work in a Scrum event. But 
understand that the invitation is just as important as any structure you pick and that your competency with the structures will really dictate which ones you can use in each event. Does that make sense, Todd? Yeah. Uh, first, uh, my first point with this one is uh, shout out to our uh, buddies overseas, which liberators. the liberators, they have done a lot of stuff to put blog articles out there on Medium to talk about different combinations of liberating structures you could use. But they'll even tell you um, to experiment, right? To experiment and understand how liberating structures can work together. I start to think of a sprint review, like what's the purpose of our sprint review? What do we need to get out? We need to adapt the product backlog. What can we use to get people in a room that may not normally be together, stakeholders in the scrum team and and create some, uh, some good discussions there? Uh, I mean, you could combine something like a one, two for all with wicked questions and... <laughs> Uh, crush it with fifteen uh, percent solutions for PBIs that we're going to generate that are going to get us closer to the next protocol that we're trying to achieve. Um, or, but like, I, I think it really it really depends too on 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 the situation you find yourself in. Like, maybe you're in a situation where the product is not delivering what you thought it was. So maybe you just say, um, how do how do maybe run a triz? You know, get everybody to open up and put a mirror on people's faces. But this I guess, this is contextual. Um, I agree with you, Ryan, that you experiment. Um, so, uh, yeah, but check out Todd's advice here is great. Check out medium, um, especially for Barry over the liberators. I know that, um, Barry has a, a few new posts out there about using these structures in the scrum events. They're excellent articles and highly recommend them. All right. How can a scrum team make the product backlog more transparent to stakeholders or organizations? I want to define the word transparent. Transparent does not mean visible. Transparent means well understood. And you can make the product backlog well under, more understood, well understood to stakeholders in the organization by actually talking about it, in my opinion, during the sprint review. The sprint review is an awesome opportunity to walk through the, the product backlog, talk to stakeholders in the organization about the product backlog, what you intend to deliver, what's coming up. I think this is a great opportunity for the product owner to, to achieve this goal of transparency uh, concerning the product backlog to the stakeholders in the organization if they use the sprint review event well. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I, you know, I start to think tactically too how, to, how a product owner does this. And I can't just be like a during a sprint review. You can't, and here's what I've seen too. I've seen a lot of uh, product owners just be like, well, I sent you the product backlog in Excel. Yep. Well, they, it doesn't make any sense to them what what it means in Excel. Um, so, um, one one concept that I, I I'm huge on that uh, I've I've used with a ton of success and seen used uh, with a uh, ton of success is um, is this notion of a product wall, right? That is uh, that maybe you have a roadmap on there, maybe you have a user story map on there, maybe the current active product goal, what the current sprint goal is what our forecast is to, to meet those or to, to do with that. Um, maybe I'd ask the product owner anything box. You could do all this virtually. Yes, it requires updating, but point them to there. And um, so the, uh, I think of the like really tactical things that would help to support making it well understood, but you can't just send an Excel spreadsheet or a link to you know, Jira or whatever. So Yeah, try harder. Yeah. Todd Scanlon comes back with, how do you feel about combining events, planning and retro during the same meeting? Um, I personally say, don't do it. Each event has a specific purpose. Let's get our, our mindsets wrapped around that. Let's conduct our business um, within the time boxes and keep things 
Uh, you got to keep them separated. Keep like Osprey. Got to keep them separated. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I feel very strongly that these are two completely different purposes here. Yep. Uh, yeah, this, this, it, you're, you're really missing out on, on, on opportunities if, if you do this. The same thing applies to if you combine the sprint review and the retro, which I see on a lot of people do. Right, you're missing out. The review is specifically for product and stakeholders and the Scrum team to inspect that and adapt a product backlog. Retro is really process, right? And we're trying to continuously improve our process in the retro. Planning is taking a step back and saying, what's our next sprint goal? Where are we going? What are we doing this sprint? Very different purposes, don't combine them. Yeah. Stay amazing. Thanks for the stories on First Retrospectives. Hey, if you enjoy stories about Todd and I screwing up, Fixing Your Scrum is a great book. <laughs> about a hundred different stories about us yeah. being really just blockheads with the framework. But thanks for asking that question. And we hope that our stories about the first retro is helpful and inspiring for the rest of you. Okay. Nine Ab more minutes. Abhishek said, thank you. You are welcome, sir. Please keep uh, being awesome in the community. You really add a lot there and we really appreciate you being there. Um, let's see. Hi there. How would agile testing inside work scrum? Okay. So how would agile testing work inside of the scrum framework? Um, I think I've got the question, right? Uh, here's the thing. Testing must happen within the sprint. Testing is a part of scrum. You cannot have a, I do not, uh, I'm going to, someone will send me an edge case. I'll risk it. I, I would be hard pressed to think of a definition of done, Todd, that does not include testing. Yeah. So it's happening inside the sprint. So it's, a, I mean, it's inside of the, the framework activities. And, and it shouldn't happen synchronously. And when I say that is it shouldn't happen. Well, there's some analysis going on. There's some coding going on at the end of the sprint. We test, right? It should happen asynchron asynchronously. And what I mean by that, these are ongoing activities. So, um, uh, I, it, in our book, I wrote about the, the, the time that I was working on a team where, uh, where the, the person that was doing the testing was like, I feel like at the end of every sprint, like I have nothing to do in the beginning at the end of every sprint, I'm like super busy. So what we decided to do is to make it more transparent, make it visible, what was in this particular person's queue. So we made a big wall that showed, um, uh, I don't want to use his name, but the wall of this person. Right? And and uh, what the idea was is we, we made this uh, analogy to keep um, uh, him fed like Pac-Man, like the game Pac-Man, right? Like when you would run out, then, uh, then, you're, then you're, you're, not, you're not eating like Pac-Man. And um, so with saying that and, being, and understanding the flow of how uh, they worked, it enabled us to take maybe some smaller things and get it to him or involve him so that when he got to the stuff, it was quicker for him to get things through the pipeline. So I think these are all things that um, you arrive on in a retrospective because that's where we became cognizant of it as developers and then uh, find creative ways to solve it and make sure that the work is happening asynchronously and not a mini waterfall, right? Yeah. How do you make meetings fun? I like canceling them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, in all seriousness, um, the scrum events were designed to eliminate most of your meetings on, on your calendar. So if you're still doing status updates, cancel it and invite those people to your sprint review and, and find other opportunities. But if you're trying to make meetings fun, make them as short as possible. 
have an agenda, define the decision you're trying to make as, as because, you know, before you hold the meeting, get people in and out and respect people's time. Um, and I think that is fun for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, as far as like icebreaker, I, I can, I can keep them. I could leave them. I don't know. Todd, what do you think? So I, I mean, this is like my conference talk for like three years, right? I, I think it might have been the basis of the delivering structure. I don't remember. Uh, it might be that LS video that's out there, but yep. I did I talk a terrible, no good, very great meeting, right? Where um, I looked at some stats and saw how much time and money organizations across the country are wasting, or the US, and actually international statistics back up, wasting in meetings. Right? And I start to think of, um, of, 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 of things that drive me crazy. Like I'm showing up to a meeting that I want to facilitate and get out of in 30 minutes. And there's a particular goal in mind here. And everybody comes and shows up with a laptop and everybody is doing this. Right. And nobody is paying attention and it drags on and we have no conclusion at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you're checking YouTube comments. He's actually texting me. He's saying, yeah, text. Yep. I totally agree. Um, so I, I, I I, I don't. I don't need to really just text me. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know that the word fun, I, but I would say engaging is a better word, right? And let's make them engaging. Let's make them to the point. Let's 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 no elect no electron. Well, I mean we're on Zoom now, but no multitasking. Let's get in. Let's get out. Let's get with purpose. Use some liberating structures. Read the book Training from the Back of the Room, which isn't just about training. It's about how you how you engage people's brains in meetings. Involve everybody, have the right people there, um, and uh, maybe come check out my conference talk. <laughs> it's a pitch. I got to retire that one. I've used that, I think, well, I've, like a hundred times. And I, you know, Stay Amazing liked that video that's on this. Uh, that is your talk. So I, I did get your permission beforehand. I told yeah, you what I, I was going to do. Yeah, but, I, was stoked uh, about it. I was stoked about it. I, like, I, 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 I'm willing to share that talk with anybody because I think it works. Yeah. I, I think you put a little good. bit of flavor onto it, though. I might have messed you with it a little ionized bit. Ionized it. <laughs> Ryanized it. Yeah. It's like it's like ionizing water. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. Not good. Not yeah. good. Yeah. Um, probably let's do one more. Yeah. Um, let's do this one. This is fun. How can you draw the line for trying to help a product owner grow as a decision maker and leader and say, okay, keep supporting this guy is an act of betrayal towards stakeholders and the dev team alike? Oof. What a it's a principled type question, right? Yeah. I've been in this circumstance. I've been in this circumstance where specifically I was trying to work with a product owner on how to engage the stakeholders and they um, uh, wouldn't um, wouldn't listen to what I had to say. And I told them that they were under engaging the stakeholders and I felt the same way. I felt like um, maybe they just need to grow. Maybe they need to see like why this was going to happen. And unfortunately, what ended up happening in the end is a budget got cut and people got fired. Um, so... Uh, the, so this is, this is walking a fine line between betraying the stakeholders because things could have gone much better there. I didn't overstep my bounds, although I would say probably part of that failure was on me in that circumstance. Right. Ryan, like I was trying to help this person, but maybe potentially failure to act, uh, caused a little bit. Now I don't want to blame it entirely on me. Um, but I, I kind of look back at that and say that a little bit. So uh, I don't, this is a this is a, a a big time balancing act, and what I, what I would my advice, given that my past experience, is to take action before uh, before things could get too late here, right? And but let's make sure that 
that we're that we've told this person that that we're that we're very being very direct. Let's let's make sure because if this is something that you haven't told them that I feel like you're not improving enough, and I feel like we're betraying the stakeholders. If you haven't told them that and you go behind their back and take action, that's not cool. Either. So well, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think? yeah I, I like where you you landed there. It's uh, I would go one on one with this PO and just say, here's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Um, and we're and I would let them know we're moving towards an ethical or moral boundary that you're uncomfortable with. Um, if that doesn't work, grab a developer, you know, grab a business analyst, bring two or three people with you and have another conversation with this person and say, look, we all care enough about you to sit down and talk to you about this. But if you finally cannot get them to come on board with, I, I mean, let's make sure you're right, you know, but if, if, if you're just confident, you've got the data and the product owner just will not listen, I think then it's time, like Todd was saying to, you know, engage leadership, get management involved. And we really need to, to start having some serious discussions about where this is going. Uh, but I really want to try hard to uh, work with uh, the person one-on-one, -on -one, a small group, and then last resort, bring in uh, leadership and management. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, I'm just going to say um, before we cut this uh, that I saw some questions left over here, Ryan. I did put them in our product backlog for um, for future episodes, which we uh, which we're going to we're going to do a bunch yeah, I will say one just came in about Sprint Zero, and there is a video on the YouTube site about Sprint Zero. Check it out. We cover that very extensively, and our thoughts really fired some people up. So enjoy yeah. that one. Yeah, there is no Sprint Zero. Yep, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Don't <laughs> yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Um, stay amazing. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate yes, uh, the call out. Uh, we have an awesome community. We hope you all keep it up. Keep helping yeah. each other. You know what it's time for, Todd? Exit music? Oh, the exit screen. End screen! What, what we, when can we get e exit music? No. Uh. <laughs> Come on! Not that exit. Like music? No. no. We'll find some exit music. <laughs> some exit it'll, be, music. it'll be like the... It'll be some crazy clown music. TLC, be, don't go chasing waterfalls. There you go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Like and subscribe so that you know when we go live next time. Check out the videos that are popping up below. We think you'll like them. They'll Hopefully they help you out. A lot of things you asked about, I think we've covered there too. So like Sprint Zero, it should be below. Check out the socials. We're pretty active on Twitter and LinkedIn. We are too old to understand Instagram, but Facebook will we'll get on there sometimes. But uh, leave your questions and comments below. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know the questions that you want to see answered. And who knows, they could turn into a video. Check out our book, Fixing Your Scrum. Look in the description for a link to purchase that book or maybe join us for a class. All things are possible in the description. Uh, but I'll tell you what, this is another live edition. We're so excited you were here. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ryan Ripley, Todd Miller. Say, say goodbye, Todd. Goodbye. Happy weekend, Friday afternoon. And we'll see you all. Yeah, it's Friday. What, what? We'll see you all next week. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on. <laughs>